This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, we notice you. Have you ever run into a friend and it looks like they've lost about 20 pounds? It seems like it happened overnight. Just a few weeks ago, they looked significantly heavier than they do right now. It doesn't make sense to you. Even the best professional athletes can't drop that much weight and change their bodies that quickly. How did that happen? Well, it didn't happen. You just think it did. What probably happened was your friend had been slowly losing weight for weeks or even months, probably about a pound a week. Then one day they'd lost enough that you noticed. And you're not a bad friend for not noticing. In fact, most people probably didn't. That's because of a phenomenon called the Weber-Fechner Law. It's where something has to change a certain amount before people notice it. This law impacts what we see, what we taste, and even what we feel. It's why you can add a pinch of salt to a pot of soup and not really taste it. It's why your friends don't notice that you've been working out. But it goes beyond our ability to observe our world. It's a fundamental building block of how our brains work. Welcome to episode 94 of Game Theory Podcast about competition, strategy, and decision making. Did you like that, Chris? That was high energy. Incredible stuff. The energy's high. Mm. I'm trying to match it, but I got to be honest with you. The tank is pretty empty oh, right now, there. Just psychologically we'll speaking. I know how there. you're a nerd. I know how I'll get you there. Just wait. Just wait. I have some, I have some stuff for you. Yes, episode 94. Um, I have some ideas that I've been thinking about for, for a little while now. I'm going to pitch them your way live. I'm also, you're going to give me a lesson in this episode, which is super, super I, I you don't know, do. you, and you haven't prepared for it, which is really exciting for me. And one week from right. now, this monstrosity thing behind me, if you want to watch on our YouTube channel, that will be where my wife and I uh, hang you for storage, upside down. Great. I've always wanted to be on the Murphy bed with the head toward the end of the bed, mm-hmm. so I could just live my dream of kind of existing in the walls in like a Muppets episode and appearing every so often when they need like a special guest i have always been like man i don't want to sleep in a murphy bed but the effort that this has taken to build and the amount of time it has taken to build make me think that you'll be okay yeah i'm gonna be fine yeah. I'll, I'll tolerate the murphy bed i'll yeah. tell, you, yep. tell you that right now we have uh we have an exciting prospect coming up it's not just me being in the murphy bed mm. we're doing our second ever Live episode together. Yeah. And it's not going to be live. We're it's just going to be in the same room at the same time. That is the long-term goal yeah. for this, though. We would like to perform in a city, I think, at some point. Maybe open for a podcast that's recording live. Uh, right now, the, the leaders in the clubhouse are Seattle and New York. And if that's not one of your cities, then make your friends listen. Or just download a bunch of times. Um, yeah, so d- down the road. Seattle loves us. Seattle and we love Seattle. Yeah, we love How Seattle. How many times have I been to Seattle? None. None. Not enough. No, I'll, I'll tell you. I landed in Seattle once, I think. But that was, yeah, not, not really. Okay, so. We just, we just need to get there. Yeah, that's true. Maybe we got, I think we, we give off strong Carhartt and, and Red Wing boots and <laughs> rainy episode vibes. <laughs> yeah, buying a Carhartt in the airport store <laughs> yeah. when we land. Uh, I have Carhartt. Carhartt manliest thing I've ever done is buy Carhartt gloves. By far. Y- yeah, buying the gloves is yeah. the manliest thing you ever do. They're First time you use pristine on this thing behind you. There we go. <laughs> um, okay, so we have a lot. Had a couple good episodes. Keith Lee is at it again. He blew up a burger place in Vegas that was supposedly going to close, and now it is definitely not going to close. And shout out reviews. That was a fun episode. Keith Lee, I had a great time doing that one. 
Yeah, learned a lot about the food scene, sure. about the food review scene. Didn't realize Atlanta had such a bad rap for its brunch antics. I hope they've gotten their stuff together in the weeks since that we recorded the Keith Lee episode. I, I doubt that they have, though. That seems like a seems like a skill issue. Yeah. Yes, um, and a want-to issue, lack of drive, and then it perpetuates. It's actually kind of a game theory thing that they can all just kind of suck. It's like the opposite of the proximity paradox. We're like, what if the things that are in proximity to, approximated to each other. What do they suck? And like they just don't have to... You can just keep sucking and be lazy. But we also had, Chris, one of our most popular episodes recently was the inductive versus deductive reasoning episode. And we had two mm. people on the internet talk at us, which you can do on Spotify in the Q&A, or you can go to YouTube, which is where the greatest thinkers in the world leave their comments. Um, yeah, that's why we're there. Yes. We're, we're, we're just trying to engage in the agora public exchange wow. of ideas wow. in the digital marketplace. Yeah, no, we, we encourage you to do that sort of thing. Even if even if you say ridiculous things to us, like the guy who said the exact wrong reasoning on the, the Monty, Monty Hall, Hall problem, yeah. one of our classic episodes, who did, he did literally the exact thing we called out in the episode as being blatantly, verifiably wrong. I've gotten to the uh, point. We encourage you to do that. I've gotten to the it's point okay of Monty be, Hall. The, so, okay, by the way, 100th episode coming up. 100th episode coming up, and we are going to, I'm going to do, I might quiz you, and I might make you want to quiz me on episodes that we forgot that we did. Like, what did we learn? <laughs> One yeah, of the things that well, I've learned. I'll tell you what, there's a big pool to pick from yes. for that particular Remember contest. Remember when we did the Dove thing, the Dove beauty, and like how you see yourself yeah. is really wrong? I forgot about that. It was good. The traffic yep. episode, classic. Black Friday, is, that's probably when I ask, people ask me, like, what episode represents your podcast? Black Friday is exactly what we're about. Getting mad at stupidity yep. in society and then also like a little bit of math. But inductive versus deductive reasoning was one of our most popular episodes. We had two people clap back at us and kind of miss the point, but we like them uh, irregardless. So we had someone comment, um, Patrick, this is funny. Patrick said on, on Spotify, high efficiency LED lighting has ruined the riddle. I was like, touche, Patrick. That's true. That's Factually you know what that's hurtful. I I don't like being reminded of my age. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have I have LED lights in my home too, yeah. Patrick. They've been going for they've been buzzing for years. I miss the incandescent bulbs. And you know what? This is not a this isn't like a fancy futuristic riddle. It's a good old fashioned riddle. Yeah. And okay. play the game. Also, um, I don't think he's putting the riddle. I think he's just making an LOL, which no, is, a, is no, definitely LOL. No, it's a, it's a good point. Yeah. And mm -hmm. you know, actually, I think it does. It enhances the riddle because it makes the prospect of sitting there and waiting for the light to get warm enough even more daunting True. so it's like who's gonna you're less kind of inclined to think of that course of action so all right patrick I yes see you. um i agree and one of the greatest conspiracy theories out there is that their light bulbs are actually fine and that companies have just created them to suck and that there are a handful of light bulbs in the northeast somewhere that are still on from 100 years ago yeah, it's like the well, it's the planned obsolescence thing, right? Yeah, literally, like where there you, are you people that are like, design stuff. Mm -hmm. This light bulb well, it, been well, on this the, barn for a hundred years. Well, it gets really insidious when you start talking about like uh, well, doctors profit off of cancer. So like you can't mm -hmm. you can't cure cancer because then you wouldn't have a a robust healthcare industry based on cancer. That's uh, that's really nasty stuff. That's it's really dark. an insult to yeah. cancer survivors for sure, especially because but people even people that smoke constantly don't get cancer and so you never know but we had another comment on youtube which was hilarious to me someone wanted to argue that the lion game which you talked about which remember like the lion eat the sheep and then what would happen someone commented on youtube something to the effect of that's not the how that would go the lions would start forming an alliance and pick gang up on the weaker lions like well i believe the the point is abandon you on the desert island with the lions and they're actually going to eat you that's right yeah so you we thank you for volunteering to be the lamb the sacrificial <laughs> lamb literally it's uh, really admirable, I guess. Forming an alliance, though, you know, I, I think Survivor, 
as a show is too big of a topic for us to do an episode on because there are, I mean, there's more over 40 seasons now. They're yeah. still going. Jeff Probst is still dominating the host game show host scene. He's like a he's like a resurgent Bob Barker. Really? I mean, he's just a, just a legend. I mean, he's not going to get to. I don't know if he's going to be like Bob Barker. But he's definitely not going to be like Alex Trebek. But you know, he, he's a legend. But that you know, you're talking about alliances. That makes me think of we've been watching a lot of Survivor, and sure. then there's some interesting game theory going on there. It's like equal players. But the social dynamics kind of set the landscape, and so people do have a, like objectively good and objectively bad decisions, even though everybody's vote is equal and the circumstances are pretty limited there. So it's, it's an interesting experiment to play out. Yeah, I think, and Survivor also, I could talk about it for a long time. I took um, in high level media theory classes. It was it's been highly discussed. It changed the history yeah, of entertainment. Left it at the level of theory. Speaking of that, let's talk about today's episode, which is something called the Weber-Fechner effect. Chris, our nerdiest episodes are the ones that people like the most, so we drop them about once uh, every three or four weeks or so. We've got another nerdy one, but this is not nerdy at all. This is one of the coolest things I ever learned in Psychology 101 in community college. It had my jaw on the floor in terms of just the weirdness. And and it's it, there are some mathematic principles at, at play, but for the most part, let's just get into... The layman's term of the law, and then we'll, we'll define it. So Weber-Fechner law, essentially what it is, is you don't notice something's changed until it's changed a specific amount. And a great example, that I, the way that I was taught, was something along the lines of, let's say you're making dinner for a huge firehouse of, of men, and you have this big, enormous witch's brew pot that you're making the soup in, and you're dumping salt, and you're dumping salt, and you're dumping salt, and you could dump like six bottles of salt doesn't change how, how much salt it is. And then one grain of salt, it does change. It has to do with how your brain perceives the ratio of salt to non-salt. So you could dump like a bottle or two of salt in this big cauldron. Nobody can taste the difference. And then one extra grain, all of a sudden it flicks a switch in your brain. You're like, okay, I taste a little saltier now. Yeah, and that's an interesting example because that one's a little bit more uh, chemistry. I guess technically it's physics-based because you're yes. not really undergoing a chemical reaction. But the point there is that the volume of the container that you're working with, this large pot of stew for an entire firehouse of firemen. Right. It requires a lot of salt to season. I mean, you, you normally use like a like a tablespoon or yeah. a teaspoon, depending on if you're making a batch of soup of different sizes. But if you're making a whole bunch of soup for a whole bunch of people, you need a ton of salt. And then once it gets to a certain level, then you start to notice that it's really salty and the seasoning effect kind of wears off. So let's... Let's discuss the technical terms here. So okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna sure. to cite Let's this from it. Encyclopedia Britannica, yeah. which basically, I don't know if you've caught on to this. This uh, inci- Citing Encyclopedia Britannica is my way of citing Wikipedia without sounding like, uh, sounding like I'm just going to Wikipedia for everything. It's <laughs> I the have same caught in on both to locations. That. I have caught on Yeah, that. no, it's it, well, it makes me feel educated. And, you know, shout out to Britannica, RIP. I missed the printed edition. We had one. So yeah. anyway, we did. Yeah, it was great. Weber's Law is... So I'm, I'm reading directly here. Waver's Law, historically important psychological law quantifying the perception of change in a given stimulus. The law states that the change in a stimulus will be just noticeable is a constant ratio of the original stimulus. So, in other words, the size of the original thing that you're working with, that is the limiting factor on the size of the influence of the change that you enact on that system so if you put in a handful of salt to somebody's single serving of scrambled eggs it's going to taste really really salty if you put in a handful of salt to a large bowl of like a cauldron of stew for a bunch of firehouse workers it's not it's not going to taste appreciably salty you're going to have to add a whole bunch more Uh, let me let me give you another example nick as somebody who's recently getting back into the weightlifting game probably right 
We'll talk about that in a second. Aspirationally, actually. who may or may not one day get back into the weightlifting game. If you were to hold one pound in your hand, if you can imagine like a one pound weight, just like those really, really tiny things that they sell like the, in the complete sets or like a, like a heavy end cap. for Or like a water bottle. Cars. Yeah. Yeah. Bottle of water. Roughly a pound. If you're holding that in your hand and you add a second water bottle or you add a second one pound weight, you've doubled the amount of weight in your hand. And you can tell, your brain can tell, okay, this is substantially heavier. This is much more of a load than the original one pound weight. For some of us, it's just an enormous amount to lift anyway. Mm. But if you've been keeping in shape and if you're really strong and you put, I don't know, 100 pounds on the bench and you hold that up in the air and then you add one pound onto that, your brain doesn't notice the difference right away. You've added the same amount of weight. You've added one pound in both situations. But your brain was loading 100 pounds in one case, and it was loading just one in the first. Right. So the proportion of change that you've added there is, I mean, it's, you've, you've gone from adding 100% to adding 1%. And that difference is so much more subtle with the larger sample size. It seems kind of intuitive because it really is, but this Weber-Fechner law is a way of kind of quantifying Time that out. change, and it's saying that... Are ahead. you saying Weber? It's not Weber or Weber. It's Weber? I don't know. I'm trying to sound more educated than I am. I think it is. Okay. I, I mean, it's probably Weber's law, but like the I'm German way of pronouncing it, Weber. <laughs> Weber. Weber. Yeah. Okay, fine. Weber it is. Done. <laughs> yeah, Weber, Weber, I guess. Well, it, it was... Uh, let, let's <laughs> let's be fair right, to the original... To the namesake of the law, it was named after Ernst Heinrich Weber, who was Got born it. in Wittenberg in Saxony. Oh, and he's actually listed here as uh, being born in the Holy Roman Empire. Whoa. He was born in June 19, or 1795. 1795. So yeah, he's probably pronouncing it Weber. So Weber-Fechner law, I'm going to read this from Wikipedia now because there's another, just to reinforce it. Yeah. There are related hypotheses in the field of psychophysics... So we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Sure. Both laws relate to human perception, more specifically the relation between an actual change in a physical stimulus and the perceived change. And Weber's, Weber's exact words were here, and I'm quoting him directly, the minimum increase of stimulus which will produce a perceptible increase of sensation is proportional to the pre-existent stimulus. Let me say that again. The minimum increase of stimulus, which will produce a perceptible increase in the sensation, so the amount that you notice, the minimum amount required to make you notice that there's a change, that amount is proportional to pre-existing stimulus. So in other words, the amount that you have in the first place, that's the determining factor for when your brain is going to start to notice that something new has entered the equation. And Fechner's law is uh, its an inference from Weber's law. It states mm -hmm. that the intensity of our sensations increases as a logarithm of an increase in energy rather than as rapidly as the increase. So there again, yeah. we get the, the logarithmic increase. It's, it's you know, an order of magnitude for every single step that you take instead of going up linearly or, or exponentially. So let's just go back to the weightlifting thing and we'll get into the logarithm part of this in a minute. I actually, by the way, I got hurt today in the gym. I had just uh, <laughs> leg pressed right around 600 pounds and it was oh, good. didn't. Oh yeah, on the hip what? sled it was great. Oh, it was—I mean, it was f whatever the sled weighs plus six weights on six plates on each side, which biggest I've, I've never wow. done that before. Um, not that I was, but I'm not squatting, so it, it's not really. Then it, it immediately fell back and crushed your legs into your spine. Sure, yes. Anyway, irregardless, I as when I was working up to this many weeks or months ago or whatever, 
Um, I thought about back in the weight room when we were much, 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 much younger men. I got hurt, by the way, jogging very lightly. My calf is in, in a lot of pain and <laughs> oh, no. just yaw- lightly. And honestly, I learned a lesson. Never again. Never running again. Never. Never. There's no reason. Being never, in your early never. 30s is it, it's embarrassing. I'm actually at the point now where I like I have to take care of this and I have to take weeks off. Like I could tear my Achilles. And you know what I don't want in my 30s is a fucking surgery. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would imagine that. I'm not horrible. interested in that so, either. Do you remember squatting? And everybody would have this little trick. So if you have four plates on each side, you're at, I believe, 495 pounds. Or is it? No. 300. If you have four on each side, it's 405. 405. And then five on each side is 495. Right? Yep, correct. So assuming then if you want to have a 45, hold on. Assuming you have a 45 pound, pound bar, bar. Yeah. Many bars, people, like for whatever reason, manufacturers are really irritating and pretentious and they do the European sizing thing and they're 20 kilogram bars, which is 2.2 pounds per kilogram for a 44 pound bar. Again, the most irritating thing in the world to me when American companies do that, just just stop it, guys. The metric system's not going to happen. The rest of the world has lost. I saw in the TikTok comment section, uh, so this guy made a TikTok. I just wanted just a slight little side quest here. Um, here (laughs) This guy made a TikTok of saying like, he was talking about he was deadlifting six plates. It was I was on on powerlifting TikTok, and he, he was deadlifting six plates. Just like that's a powerlifter, like it's like a oh, yeah. an advanced advanced hobbyist, right? And he was like, um, he was saying how much he was deadlifting, and the guy was like, that's like five thirty five. Like it's like five ninety five. Like oh, you count the bar? He's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then in the, the top comment, the TikTok comment section is where humanity is happening right now. The top comment was. I met a guy one time that counted his body weight on squats. I was like, that's positivity right there. That's baller. That's a that's baller. Positive. I, was I like, mean, that's nah, I'll do that forever. But that's okay. going to jack up my 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 percentage. Exactly. Like, he was squatting 700 pounds. <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you remember 595 on the on the bar, five plates or 495, five plates, right? There we go. Oftentimes to get to 500, people would want to put two and a half on either side. One of the ways people have crossed thresholds and gotten records is just by sneaking a little two and a half on one side. And you're thinking like, well, if it, if it was a 25 pound plate, maybe would that would throw me off? I don't, I don't know if it was a 45 pound plate that would definitely throw me off. But if it's a two and a half, a five, or probably even a 10, it probably won't, which is exactly what you're talking about. Your muscles are not going to detect that tiny little imbalance. And there is, but there is a threshold at which it will. Right. Yeah, that's that's exactly the point. And that threshold is directly proportional to the size of the thing that you're working with. Yeah. So, it, you know, I, I use the extreme example, but, you know, it, it turns out that Weber actually did his own analysis with weight perception. So yeah. he uh, he found that this quantity called the just noticeable difference. So like the, 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 that's where that's where this this whole law operates is like, where's the threshold between where you don't notice something and where you do? Weber found that the just noticeable difference between two weights was approximately proportional to the weights. I mean, it's 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 true for the weights. It's true for saltiness. It's true for a lot of other stuff that we'll talk about later on, like economics and biopharmaceuticals and all kinds of stuff. So the example listed here is if the weight is 105 grams, if that can only just be distinguished from that of 100 grams, then that means the just noticeable difference of the JND quantity is that 5-gram amount. So, But then if you double the amount, if you start with 200 grams in the first place, then what Weber found is that the differential threshold also doubles along with that. It, it, it scales linearly. So you can go up to 205, but people don't really notice that as readily because the, the original starting reference is, is so much larger than the, the difference there. And so if they double it to 10 grams, so if it goes from 200 to 210, well, that's the same proportion as going from 100 to 105. And so the brain is like more likely to notice that as well. And experimentally, that's what Weber found. Yeah, which is really kind of interesting. So 
a great way that I, this phenomenon was explained to me, or this law, I guess, is explained to me, has to do with perception of weight as well. Um, so we use the, the chemical reaction of salt, which is part of this. It's a different sensation. It's a different part of your body. But in terms of perceiving weight, if you've ever, and like I mentioned in the open, which is um, if you've ever run into a friend after like six months and it looks like they've lost 20 pounds or 10, 10 pounds, or like they look like they've clearly lost weight, and it's been, a, it's been a little while. However, they were losing weight in all of your interactions for the past year. But at a certain point, you noticed. That's a huge yep, part. There maybe there's clothing and stuff. Yes. So like, and that, that's happened to me before. I've lost a tremendous amount of weight. And I had been losing weight in five-pound increments in here and there. And then, bam, there's one moment where it's like, wow, you look way skinnier. Like, well, I mean, I have been inking down the entire time. But I've crossed that threshold. And then the amount of weight required to get that reaction goes down because the original body mass is smaller. So if when I when I was around 300 pounds and I would lose 20, not really noticeable. Lost 60, enormously noticeable. Now I, I that kind of thing happens when I lose maybe 20, 25 or whatever. That's that's sort of how this is working. There, that, I think there's a Seinfeld routine about that. Like the heaviest man in the world at the time he was uh, he was doing the routine. He's like, yeah, that guy weighs 1,100 pounds. He's like, could you imagine if you went and lost 200 pounds? Yeah. He's still enormously overweight at 900 pounds. Yeah. So, yeah, and, you know, obviously Seinfeld was joking about that and, you know, poking fun at the, the world's largest man. But the, the point is the same. I mean, the, the proportion of change that you're able to appreciate, well, that's that's in direct relationship to the original starting reference point. Right. And, you know, I, I think we can go we can go a lot of different ways with this, with game theory, with society, with economics, with personal interrelationships, uh, biopharmacology, like I mentioned, there, like there's a there, there's an interesting relationship between the amount of drug that require that results in a stimulus change in the body and like how yes. much you react to it versus how much is already in the system or how much the system is already primed sure. for. Uh, and that's where you start to get like addiction like behavior. I mean, yes. you know, I think everybody notices, you know, the 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 dose that you get for something like if you for for the course of affairs for somebody to become an alcoholic you know that's a that's an addiction that's a fundamental change in in brain chemistry and and how the body actually processes ethanol and it you don't start you don't become an alcoholic by drinking a couple of beers you know a few times a week or you know a handful of beers in a month you become an alcoholic by really overloading the system over and over and over again and and obviously that amount and the circumstances are different for everybody but it becomes a matter of the body being so used to large amounts of alcohol being in the system that suddenly you know the, the the problem with alcoholism is that you can't just have one drink because then the body starts to crave and demand more drinks and yes. so one turns into two turns into eight turns into 12 turns into a, a ruined night and and you've gone on a backslide so you know, that's a that's an appreciable phenomenon too that doesn't really have as much to do with you know there, there's a psychological element there obviously but it has just as much to do with the biochemistry over which you don't have any real like mental like conscious control as it does as it does when it's just a matter of perceptions like with the with the weight examples or like the the saltiness level of of, of food that we've been talking about yeah and i think so there are many pharmacological examples of this. Like, for example, if you've ever gotten one of those mini packets of Dayquil and you're like, well, I'll just take half of this dose right now and then half of the dose later. Like, well, actually, all you've done is just taken pills that don't do anything now. You need the full dosage for your body to accept it. And because you have a, a relationship with the, fig- the the physical world, it's not just like your perception of it. That's the most interesting part about the Vebner-Fechner thing is it's not just perception. 
that was the beginning of the observation. But what we're finding out now is it is actually your interaction with the real world has thresholds for things, which to me is incredibly fascinating. So I want to take a time out though. And I want to say in my brain, the, an algorithm is just computing, right? Like, cause I'm not a math person. It's just computing. The algorithm is the TikTok and the internet feeding me stuff based on stuff that I fed it. It's a relationship. It's artificial intelligence. It's, it's in, it's out. It's, it's perpetual. It's a perpetual You're motion machine. Words of right math. Now. Yes. What the fuck is a logarithm? A lo- okay. So an algorithm, you're I've right. I've got to be in that class. I've got to be. Okay. Which class? Logarithms come up all over the place. I don't. You know what? You don't have to be more specific. Okay. Just, yeah, just help. Have you, have you, <laughs> have you heard that Nate Bargatze joke where he, he's like, yeah, I went to community college and I, I had to take remedial class. I took a math class. Like the book said math on it. <laughs> yeah. He's great. I think I kind of want to go see him soon. His, my, his favorite, my favorite joke of his is like, if I traveled back in time, have you ever been asked that question? If, if you traveled back in time, like what would you do to take advantage? He said, I, he's like, I don't know if it would make a difference. And be like, so I don't think it there's going to be satellites in the sky. Like, well, how does it work? Uh, I don't know. I do not know. <laughs> you know, I'm probably in the same, but yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a funny guy. He's, great. he's a, he's a really funny dude. Okay. What's a logarithm? A logarithm, player three, a logarithm is a mathematical expression. Okay. We are going to, we're, we're going to Google because I want to get the formal definition. This is a, this is a rare case where we're playing with fire. Like people clap back at us in the comments section. A lot of times, like the, sometimes they're hilariously wrong. Like the exact thing that we talked about in the Monty Hall problem. Sometimes they right. kind of have a point. There was an interesting point. Yeah. Like, okay, Patrick, I see you with, right. uh, with, with your objection to the, uh, the, LAT to the whatever life. math people will kill you. Like they they'll, will. they'll never stop. <laughs> And as a result of that, actually, so th- this is an interesting little game theory component. I, I was a roommate with a guy who was a, a chemical engineering major and math major at the same time and got a perfect 4.0 grade point average. One of the smartest people I've ever met in my entire life. Do you have any oh, yeah. idea how hard math is? It's crazy hard. And this guy was just like flying through. And his his take was that Wikipedia actually has fantastic math. And it's because, so like, it's almost always right, like depending on on the article, like most of the time you can get like really great information on Wikipedia. And there's a lot of additional examples that you might not find in, in textbooks. And part of the reason for that is that math people get so pissy and territorial and possessive that they just go nonstop battling it out to see who can get it the rightest in the Wikipedia edits. So they're real, that. like their need to be right about math love that so is, is a, it's, we it's a useful that, tool, but it could be dangerous. Do we talk about that Japanese guy? There's like an argument over the no, like he says, he said he proved something and then they're like, but you did it and no one could like, there's not a winner because no one can figure it out. Yeah. We talked about that. I'm sure. So we need to be more specific, but I think, but yeah, we, we, we've talked about that. We talked about that. Yeah. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Player three, don't look for that. You're, it's right, on you're the never going to find that conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's in there somewhere. Okay, so okay, logarithm. this is a formal definition from Wikipedia. In mathematics, the <laughs> logarithm is the inverse function to exponentiation. Do you know what exponentiation is? If I say that. Uh, exp- I know what exponential growth is because I've had to explain it to bosses before. Well, there's different kinds of exponential growth. It depends on what the functional, like, like what's the independent variable that's in the exponent. Like if you have e to the one over, or minus one over x, that's exponential growth, but it's right. growing inverted curve basically exponential growth in the positive sense if you have just like a positive integer like a positive quantity in the power for the exponential that means that the growth is compounding over and over again and so it's it grows very very quickly if you if you were to chart it out the line just goes almost straight up 
very, very fast. So a logarithm is the exact inverse. It's how you undo the operation. It's like addition, the inverse of that is subtraction. Like how do you undo adding something? You take it away. Multiplication, the inverse is division. If you multiply by something to undo that, you divide. Yeah, well, okay. if you take the exponential of something, so like X, like some number raised to the X power, you have, there has to be some way to kind of undo that process. And so the logarithm is the process of undoing that. And so it's it's like asking, you know, what what number do we need to put in the exponent spot in order to solve the equation? So it's like some number equals some number to the X power. Okay, well, what is X then? And okay. to do that operation, you take the logarithm of the original number or with logarithm with the base of that first of the number that's in the bottom of the exponential expression. Okay. And then you take that that log base whatever of the number on the other side of the equation. And then the answer is going to be the exponent that you have to put in there. It's okay. the opposite of taking raising something to a power. Okay, so this is what we're doing is going big, starting big and going small. We're undoing subtraction essentially like if it's math and it's it's addition and subtraction exponents and logarithms got it yeah we're, we're doing the it? inverse operation of exponentiation so when people talk about like a logarithmic scale i i don't know why they pick the word logarithm personally but i mean it, it it means like we're operating on the order of doing exponential operations so instead of multiplying by 10 we're raising to the 10th power and the the effect that that has like we've we talked about this before with the ph scale the effect that that has is like okay if i think of a set of numbers 1 through 10 by the time i get to 5 it's not 5 times larger it's 5 zeros larger it's 10,000 times as yeah, much because yeah. 1 to 2 okay well now that's there's 1 zero to now 2 zeros so that's 10 to 100 or and then the next number would be 3 so there's 3 zeros that's 1000 so instead of just going up linearly, we're, we're adding another zero on and those numbers get very, very large very, very quickly. And so the logarithmic scale is kind of a way to compress that. So it's like, all right, this relationship, this mathematical quantity, it grows super, super fast. So if I were to chart that out on just like a regular, you know, linear X, Y axis, I'm not going to be able to see anything. I don't know yeah. what the shape of that curve is because it, it goes so fast. Like I, I don't have paper that big to draw it out. But if I do a logarithmic scale, so like the, each unit is like a, a, a jump of an order of magnitude, okay, so well, that's then I can start to see what the curve in. looks like. That's where yeah. my knowledge comes in because if you don't do logarithm, this is how Purdue Pharmaceutical A got caught and B completely lied to the government and got everybody addicted to heroin is they used yep. a scale that was logarithmic and it made it look like there were no peaks and valleys, which is like we literally just mentioned is a, a tenant of addiction. And so they lied by using a logarithmic scale. So logarithmic scales are used essentially to make it. And I've, I, I know that and I know because I got really into the 3x plus one thing that I explained earlier, the loop-de-loop. 3x plus like one your, videos that, on the internet. That's your nemesis. I love it. I'm obsessed with it. And my theory as like a oh, so top it's, down It's not your observer. nemesis. It's, it's your muse. It is my yeah, muse. I was it's wrong. like, I love this so much. I also, my only thing about math is I would like to talk to people, number theory and monster, the monster clusters and all these people. I just, so something, something's off with the number four. I'm telling you people, the number four is not a normal number. <laughs> it's its own thing. It's a weird number. It makes no sense. It's always like, oh yeah, but this and this, it's somehow like, it's, it, I'm just, I'm just, Look into it. Okay, so now that we know what a logarithm is, well, now <laughs> yeah. that I know what a logarithm is. Yes, now that you've people, been reminded, yeah. player three, what a logarithm okay. is. Let's talk about how this is logarithmic and how it is, it, it, it is essentially a law. I mean, it is a law. It is logarithmic for there is a threshold, and it, the most interesting one to me is light. Light is a thing that we yeah. know. There's a, it's a literal light switch that you start to notice things. Yeah, yeah, no. So, well, go ahead. Okay. Explain the light thing. Okay, so, and I'm going to hold on to this. You know, we have YouTube.com. So we need to share. We got to be cognizant of people that want to view their content 
and not just listen to their content. Could you imagine if you, your only source of information here was us? So here we're on wikipedia.com and this is going to be close enough. Okay. So you can see the picture on the left and the right and how they look brighter. There is a point at which there's an, there's an amount of light in this room that changes how you look at it. So in the, in the picture on the right, the same light redistributed by prism tiles in the window, right? Maybe a device before indoor lighting. And this is the same amount of light is coming into the window, but it's being reflected. The, okay. You see it right here. The, the sense's brightness approximately logarithmic over a moderate range and stellar magnitudes is measured on a logarithmic scale. So at a certain point, your brain notices it. Yep. Well, and, and that, the growth at, like the, the way to predict at the point at which your brain notices it, like that's on a logarithmic scale. So it's not like, yes. oh, if I, if I double the amount of light that's coming into a room, like, no, 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 I have to multiply this by 10 or 100 or 1,000. And each each of those steps, there, there's so much difference between the amounts of light that at which it's appreciable is that it's better to measure it on a logarithmic scale. In other words, there's some kind of that's exponential great. increase that's necessary in this stimulus for your brain to notice it. Which is why. That's really, yeah, that, that is really interesting because, so... Thinking back to the weight examples that we had, those are clearly linear. Sure. I mean, Weber found that 100 to 105 is a 5% it's a 5% increase. 200 to 210 is a 5% increase. That ratio is the same. So it's it's interesting that vision works in a little bit different way. So there's there's still a proportionality there, but instead of just being linear, it's proportional as a function of a logarithm as like an exponentially changing rate of light as opposed to just linear. Which is, okay, so that's, that's what's really strange to me because it's, on one hand, it is your, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to formulate how I'm thinking about this. On one hand is your perception of the world around you. On the other hand, it's literally your, your physiological ability to perceive the world. So on, on one hand, it's like your friend loses 20 pounds, you notice. But on the other hand, like that weight existing is triggering things in your brain. And it's not up to you whether you notice it or don't notice it, which is really kind of interesting. Um, mm -hmm. Ted Williams, who the guy who is, I think, cryogenically frozen for the Boston Red Sox, famously, and I remember this very vividly. <laughs> yeah. people, which, by the way, that's true. That, he is cryogenically Disney. frozen in Arizona. Yeah, him and Disney. Isn't, mm -hmm. yeah, and uh, Walt Disney is too. Yeah, well, that's why the Disney Frozen conspiracy, do you buy that? <laughs> I buy it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, so yeah. The, cons the conspiracy there is that people wanted to draw attention away from the fact that Walt Disney is frozen. So right. if you Google Disney frozen, you would find a, lot, a bunch of articles on Walt Disney. However, Disney made a very, very popular movie, the title of which is Frozen. And so that has right. driven search engine optimization away from people finding out the fact that Walt Disney's right. frozen because they don't want that PR nightmare on their hands. You know, I, uh, Nick, I, I got to tell you, I am about to take a vacation to Disney World. I know. Yeah. Is it... Disney World? Disney World's the one in Florida? Florida. I don't know which one. Yeah. Which. I and can't remember. Believe me, people on the East Coast are snooty about that. They don't like them. Yes, they are. Confused. Yeah. No, yeah. It's, it's, their, it's their thing. And, you know, I'm going to let them have it. But when I'm down there, Maybe I'm going to do as medium investigation as I can. <laughs> I'll, I'll, you do that. But I, Ted I Williams, will report back if I find him down there. Honestly, I bet he's somewhere stupid. Like, I, I've heard Ted Williams is in Arizona. I bet he's in Arizona or something dumb like that. It's like somewhere random. That does make right no sense. Ted, well, if you, anyway, if what? you woke up cryogenically frozen, wouldn't you want to also wake up next to somebody who's cryogenically frozen? It's like, hey, this has in been Arizona. a crazy non-few years. In Arizona. Yeah, in we're Arizona, better. Yeah. 
Nice. But anyway, Ted Williams. Close that loop off. Ted Williams was a baseball player, mega elite superstar. He famously did one of the manliest things that you can do, which is he had a 400 batting average. You know, he got a hit 40% of the time, which is astronomical. It literally hasn't been done since he did it. He had one game left, and if he he got out three times in that game, he would have lost it. And he said, screw that. I'm playing, and he got two hits, and he got to 400. But he also did something else that was really... um, commendable, which was to serve our country in World War II. He comes back for World War II, takes a first practice swing at Fenway Field, and famously gets freaked out. He's like, something's going on here. And he looks at the plate, and he looks at the foul poles, and he's like, what the hell? And he noticed that home plate was off just a smidge. He noticed it. And at but it was, they, they investigated, and it was like a billionth of an inch, or I don't know the exact facts, but they investigated the thing, and they were like, yep, you're right. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to poo-poo on a man that's not dead, but dead. It's not that impressive. We know that now because he was able to observe something that was there was a unit unless he's like incredibly perceptive, which that that is not him being aware of his surroundings. It is his sensory ability to detect something that most people can't detect, which is not. I mean, that's a that's a literal thing happening in your brain. Yeah, it's it's really amazing too. like. So the the kind of opposite of what you're talking about with Ted Williams, like his his shocking ability to go to war. The most devastating war in you know to that point in the history of the world, basically. I mean, right. it was there had been other world wars that were fought on multiple continents, and I'm just learn, now learning about that. But certainly, World War II was was at that point the biggest and most violent, uh, being concluded with symbolically at least the two atomic bombings of Japan by the United States. So Ted Williams goes to war. He fights for his country. He fights fascism and secures liberty for the Western world and sets the table for the rules-based international order to combat the communists. Okay, incredible stuff. Comes back and notices something that's a fraction of an inch off on a huge, like baseball fields are like, you know, 395 to 400 yards from home plate to the outfit. Like the, the proportion of the field suggests that you would need to notice a significant misalignment in order to actually perceive it. But not Ted Williams. He was so good that he noticed something that was just so... Like, none of the other players detected it. None of the coaches or groundskeepers identified it. And they had to go back and recheck because of his perception of it. And that speaks to just how attuned he was to the game and how aware he was of his surroundings. I think kind of the opposite of that. There's not a specific example that I have in mind, although I'm I'm certain that you could come up with him. But it sounds like the opposite of the frog sitting in boiling water until it gets so hot enough that it gets cooked. Yeah, the frog is blissfully unaware of the rising temperature because it notices that it's comfortable and it's wa- the water's warm enough that one or two more degrees here and there doesn't really make a difference until suddenly the frog looks around and realizes, whoops, time's up, and then he boils to death. It's where the, the, the immersion in the surrounding environment makes it difficult for the frog to pay attention to kind of the standard state of affairs. And he gets basically lulled to sleep. And uh, he, you know, the metaphor is that it costs him his life. But so I, I think those are basically like on the yeah. Weber Fechner perception and I guess situational awareness scale. On the one end, there's a boiling frog that's exactly described by Weber's law. Right. And on the other end, there's Ted Williams, who is so astute and so, such an expert and so involved at what he does that he's able to pick up those fine differences that nobody else could. Yeah, and I think that athletics are really strange to use as examples for things because if you've ever been around professional athletes, at no disrespect, but a sport that is popular, um, I'm thinking big North American team sports, I'm thinking gymnastics, I'm thinking running, uh, cricket, rugby, those kind of like major, major sports. If you've ever been around a pro, their level of expertise 
would be actually jaw dropping to you. The amount of things that they are able to do and observe and how quickly that they can do it is, is frankly crazy. Like we've mentioned, um, you know, Olivia Dunn, of course, the famous TikToker. She's, she's a famous TikToker, but she's also one of the greatest athletes who's ever lived in the history of the world. And the 1% like was right there on the Olympic, uh, had a chance to be an Olympic gold medalist or whatever. We think of her as this other thing because these athletes are able to disguise their expertise. Ted Williams is an example of that. That's amazing to you or me, but it's probably not astounding. And I, what I'm saying is I highly doubt that he was the only player on his team that would have noticed that if they had taken a day off. He just was the one with yep. the story. And that's to me, that makes me think that this is kind of something that could be possibly gamed a little bit depending on your level of expertise. But there is an example with your senses where this doesn't work, which is kind of weird. So you got five senses... Right? Well, right. hold up, 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 up. let's see. Okay. Up, 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 up. All right. So you get the smell. Um, smell seems like there is a threshold as a guy who's been on camps and sports camps with other dudes. There is a threshold at which you are fine with something that you think you should be fine with. There yeah, if is. You've ever, if you've ever been what? in a locker room type locker environment, room great, you know exactly yeah. what's what's going on. Like, and if you've ever had you like, like playing youth sports, like if somebody's yep. parent has to come in and like, you know, somebody lost their jock strap or whatever when that parent opens the door make it makes a gagging sound you're like oh okay we're used to it and this is actually yeah. disgusting right exactly so since there's there's sight there's physical touch right there's taste yeah. we've touched we've covered all of these but sound does not cooperate with this law it doesn't which is really kind of strange. They're calling it, I believe someone coined this term. Whoa, 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 whoa. You know what? I got to be better. We're going to share. We're going to share the screen. Some people on the internet like to read things. Here we are. We're back at Wikipedia. Weber's, Weber's law does Weber's not hold law. at perception of higher intensities. Intensity discrimination improves at higher intensities. Period. Wow. Okay. Which makes sense. And I, I've often, I've often, of course, I love podcasts and stuff. Audio is a different thing. There's, there's a part of it to me, this lends to my kind of philosophy that audio is just more intimate. Music and spoken word and conversations with people is more intimate. And I can tell you, undergoing some, some eye turbulence in my life, I would much rather be blind than deaf. That's just my personal opinion, having gone through I can help with those that. things. Uh, can you? You no. the weights? For the right price, <laughs> take a lot of weight, right? Whatever. So, okay, that that is a really interesting point. And you know, so the question that I have is, and I don't know if it, if the the wiki article mentions this, does that have anything to do with just the natural equipment that we have? Yes. Is it just that the eyeball is better at perceiving small differences than the auditory setup? And is that well, true for like every animal? I mean, do animals with really good hearing? Is, or is it something about like the nature of sound waves versus light versus So I, I dug into this not enough, not enough, because this is not, the amount of papers on this you think would be really robust, it's actually not. There are a lot of, the, Weber's law has not been tied into medical physiological research as well. But I, I mean, I didn't dive, dive, dive into it. I, I looked into it a little. And so there are some thoughts. The first one is that you don't have control over your ability to perceive sound. You can adjust the focus of your eyes. You can close your eyes. You can protect yourself from touch. You can protect it. You can choose not to taste things. What ha sound happens to you. It's not, it's not voluntary. And as a result of that, it be, it's almost a more, private, a more primal uh, sense. The other thing is that there is something to do with the physical, similar to light, how it's like, you know, light waves moving through the atmosphere. Sound moves differently. It, 
feels to me a little bit clunkier. And as a result of that, it's not an adjustable thing. It just happens to you, which is why you can, I, I, I believe I read this years ago that there are decibels and different sounds on the internet that can really screw you up. And people used to do them as like a drug. And there's a decibel, like a certain, oh, certain yeah, decibel like level, binaural, like 130 or something. What's that? It like, like the binaural sounds where yeah. it's like, this has some kind of, I, I don't know that I, Personally, my thinking is that a lot of that is probably like pseudoscience and kind of conspiracy stuff. But you know, you can you can mess with sound waves to like because sounds do have frequencies. So it's it's the displacement of air at a repeated like resonant rate, and each like different media, like different physical materials have different natural resonances. And like so, there's like musical instruments that are based on if you fill this kind of special shaped pan with water and they, it has these little handles on the side. And if you just like gently rub those handles or like if you rub the outside of like a crystal glass, it's filled with a different depth of water that that physical structure of that with the water inside, like that changes the frequency at which the sound is generated, it changes the, the vibrations in the pitch. So there are like natural frequencies also where you can, you can see that played out. If you, there, there are really cool videos and I, I wish we had pulled one up for this where you can sprinkle like sand or dust or something on a plate and put that plate on top of like a subwoofer or like mm -hmm. a speaker. Yeah. And when you play a sound at a certain frequency, the sand like just as a loose pile will naturally shape itself into these like kind of geometries that are dictated by the resonances of, of the sound that's being played through the system. So yeah, I mean, you don't really have a ability to, to tune that. I mean, you can stick something in your ear and, and pretend you don't hear it, but there's nothing you can do to stop, like, which is, by the way, that's one of the reasons I think that being super loud and obnoxious is super, super rude because you yeah. force everybody to, you force everybody to hear that sound. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it it's takes a longer it's, time. It's, yeah. it's, it's harder to get, to get used to, like, really loud, obnoxious sounds. I mean, like, there's a reason that fire alarms are so irritating. It's because they're a great way to catch your attention if you're not paying attention to something in the first place. Whereas, you know, yes. people can close their eyes or look in the other direction, but you can't listen in another direction if something is uh, is loud and annoying. It's um, it's one of the, I, I call it sensory rape, where you are doing something sensory. to someone without, it re, but it really is. Like it, you can't not, you can't shut your ears off. So you can say incredibly offensive things or say things that are incredibly loud and the other person, it's not like Twitter where you can like, oh, I'll just log out or block that person. Like, you heard it. It's happening to you now forever. Like, it's, you can't undo it. You can't protect yourself from it in any way. You have to be like, la, 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 la. Like, there's not a real way to do that. Stuff you should know and how stuff works. The Revolutionary Podcast and Cool Blog had, a, had an episode of a blog about how there's a really intense correlation between happiness, self-reported happiness, and also life expectancy and living close to airports um, and it's bad because, wow. and then you think, well, it's just bad real estate and people who have that don't have the same advantages of people who can afford not to live by the airport. But also there are some scientific questions that being asked, like living next to jets taking off is incredibly bad for your health. Like it can, it's bad. And there are, there are scientific theories, I believe just in a quick Google that around 180 decibels, like not humanly manufacturable, um, would kill you. You'd have a heart attack. Like it would kill you. So like that's, you know, nuclear weapon level stuff not really a thing that can happen but this sound thing it's it's a different kind of thing and from the as far as like this episode is concerned i i found that really interesting that the law is just and they call it a near miss for the law as a scientific law that's what they, they termed this this audio thing it's like it's a near miss it's a scientific law yep asterisk not for sound
Yeah, no. Well, and you know, that's, that's really interesting too, because obviously we don't want to get into this, but uh, remember in 2020 when our country was like in conniptions for a variety of reasons? Sure. I mean, so during that time, there was a little indeed. bit of discourse. It was like people who want to like live a quiet life, like a quiet lifestyle and go to the suburbs or whatever and just want, you know, silence. Uh, there was like accusations flying around that like all oh, the people that want that are just racist. Like they just can't handle like it's it's racist to want to live in a in a quieter environment, but like yeah. well no, I mean if you live next to the airport and jets are taking off, like that's you know that you can't you can't shut that out, you know. And right. so it's uh, yeah it, it yeah. And my really, counterpoint really to that would be um, Ice T and NWA. They literally went to the neighborhood and then they stayed. And the the NWA guys were like, this is sick. Beverly Hills, hell yeah, I'm living here forever. Like yeah, well, shit. so I, I don't I don't know about that. I just you know. It's it, it is an interesting thing to think about with how sound is like one of the senses that's yeah that's differentiated there. By the way, we have way more than five senses. That that that's such a lie that we're taught. So I think that's like an ancient Greek thing. Is that is like it? I don't know if that's like Socrates or somebody allegedly? It was like oh yeah, the five senses. Like, well, you know, you have so many different senses. You have a sense of time. You have uh, something called proprioception, which is like your body in space. You have a sense of equilibrium. You have a sense of... Uh, of uh, so, actually, this is really interesting. Oh, is Quiz it? question. Does the human body have a way to tell whether it is wet or not? Whoa. Isn't that just touch? Well, it is technically touch. But specifically, the human body has no way of telling whether it's wet. How can you tell something? You're like, oh, well, if I... Okay. Get water on my I, hand or this whatever. This is a high thought. I can't. This is a lot right now. No, this is Whoa. no. This is a real thing. So, 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 uh, plenty of other animals okay. have organs or sensory, you know, neurological structures or whatever that allow them to determine. Okay, I am wet now, or I'm in the water now. Human beings don't have that. What we have instead is an acute sense of temperature differences, and specifically mm. the rate at which the human body gains or loses heat. So, if you feel like, oh yeah, I stick my hand outside and a raindrop fell on that. I didn't see it, but I could feel it. What you felt was heat leaving the body in the spot that that water landed because the temperature of the raindrop is probably lower and it has a higher specific heat capacity. So it draws the heat out of the human body. So you don't, you can't tell when you're wet, but you can tell there's water on you based on like your skin can intricately determine what differences in temperature are. And so Nick, I don't know if you remember this. So we, we both had a, a wonderful science teacher in the eighth grade who was uh, famed for his uh, mushroom like mushroom knowledge and mushroom like demeanor. Uh, and he, uh, he ran this experiment with a lot of people where it was, it, it, I, I forget what the context of it was, but it's a pretty simple thing. Like he would set up a container of just really hot water, set up a content container of room temperature tap water and set up a container of ice water and ask people to put their hands in different containers and like you can't tell what the temperature of the water is by looking at it and he doesn't give you a thermometer so it's like okay this is the hot water and then if you change which water you're in you can you can get some interesting effects and if you put your hand in the cold water first and then put it in the room temperature water a lot of people think like oh well, this is the really hot one and that's because they're noticing a difference. I mean, if you think of like, okay, the number of degrees is the starting point here. Well, if I start with very few degrees and I go up to a normal number of degrees, like a room temperature number of degrees, then I perceive this as being a huge step up in temperature when actually that's not the hottest temperature of the water. And so it's like that relative difference is another kind of way to well, phrase Well, nothing feels this, better than getting into the, getting in the swimming pool after being in the hot tub for, for 15 minutes. Like, oh my God, this is icy cold. And then you mm -hmm. readjust. Did you know this? I, I've 
real quick as we're as we're about to sign off have you ever heard of the subreddit is it bullshit no <laughs> it is, is just for is people that things that they hear and it's r slash is it bullshit and it is Awesome. I heard this on a TikTok a long time ago and I wanted to fact check it. And where I found, I went to Reddit and I got the scientific explanation. And apparently what I'm about to say on the internet is true according to people who linked things out on Reddit on the R slash other bullshit. Are you ready? I'm ready. Scientifically, this, this, this rule of perception, scientifically, human beings have a more acute sense of smell for rainfall than sharks do for blood. That's a fact. What? Yes. And so, but this is some sort of phenomenon what? with bacteria in soil and what happens when water meets soil. You never, like fresh rain, other animals yeah. can't smell things like that except for things like dogs and other animals that have acute senses of smell. It's crazy elite. And we think about it as this thing like, oh, it's a pre- present smell. Like, no, 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 that, no, that's an advantage. You need water, you need soil, you need food. And when that happens, your body's like, this is good. I need this. And this is, it kind of goes along to what we're saying here that it's not just, you know, your friend lost 20 pounds. It's like your body is doing things to, so that you notice stuff. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's really remarkable. That's, that's cool. I always thought the, the, the pre or post rain smell is, I mean, that, that's up there with like all time human experiences. Like seeing a sunrise in a mountain range, like I'm not talking about like waking up and going to like the hill south of town right. so you can check out. I'm talking like a real no kidding mountain sunrise. That's <laughs> up there. Uh, probably got to be when your team wins the Stanley Cup. We would know several times in our lifetime. We would know yeah, exactly that's what true. that's like. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's up there with the elite, elite experiences. I mean, obviously, it's more 100%. frequent. But you know, uh, when, you're, when your college football fantastic. team beats Alabama, right? I mean, oh, wait, that's just one of us. Mm. All right. Uh, we'll be back next week with just me <laughs> on the show. All right, I'm going to pitch something here for the real player three will we'll know. This is at the very end. I'm going to pitch it at the beginning of next episode, but slide into our DMs, and if you hear this, I've been thinking about merchandise lines and new taglines for us. I have one. Oh, you have a tagline for merchandise, even though we have no merchandise. I just want to... No, no, no. We're about to have a shirt, I think. I'm going to say it's either going to be... Oh, it's, I think it's going to be boring as hot. Boring is hot. Because we've been saying that. Boring is fun. We like boring. Boring is good. I think boring. boring is hot is going to be game theory. Boring is hot. Yeah, no, well, and I'll, I'll get one for, for my fiance and see what Maybe she thinks. Maybe boring is fire emoji. <laughs> boring is fire emoji. Wow. Well, you know, depending on the font choice, what's the, what kind of lettering are we going to use? I, I think I'm down. But player yeah, three, think, let us know yeah. what you think of that if you want to hear some. Uh, and, and if there are any phrases that you like that we yeah, say exactly. more often than we think, because we don't perceive those phrases. You notice them more than we do because we're the ones saying them. Well, uh, Chris, that's a great way to end the show, but I'm going to one-up you. I'm going to say player three, you do look like you've lost weight. Congratulations on that. Or I'm sorry. I don't know. I'm not uh, reading all that. Uh, I ain't reading all that. Sorry that happened. Congratulations. <laughs>